Yo, it's been a long time, but here we are together again in the White Wolf's Den. I'm doing this one in my garage, which I've kind of cleaned out. I had this old, a bunch of old shitty cars, like very white trash. <laughs> I still have a bunch, but I'm, you know, I'm working on it. It's hard to get the white trash out of you. I, I had an old uh, Pontiac Catalina that I inherited uh, that sat for years, and it's like, you know, my mom was always like, you're going to save this car, you're going to make this a sleeper, and I'm like, you know, I'm into cars, but I have other hobbies, and I don't have time to sit around and just fix cars all weekends. Uh, I, I, I mean, I have this podcast, which I haven't done since a year. <laughs> I, you know, so... Here I am in the garage because I'm actually doing a, a session. We're doing a big drum session for a song that me and my friend wrote. My friend wrote most of it. The Yard Dog, who's not here, who's supposed to be here. Because we're supposed to be doing our uh, our Oscars exclusive, which is going to be now just me. And, and that's, you know, it's his fault. Because he's playing tennis and doing brunch and stupid things. You know? Fun things. <laughs> But we're doing, a, I have my buddy Felipe Restrepo, a Colombian gentleman that I work with in the film business, but he's also a world-class drummer. I have kind of cleaned out and half-assed organized my garage, and uh, we he bought a, a Questlove kit, which for just the kit, you know, the kick, a couple toms, and a snare, it's like, let's say 500 after tax. And it's a, a fabulous drum set. They're not a sponsor. I mean, maybe they will be after I... No, but the, what you get for the price is a drum that has some... It sounds really good. Uh, and the, the actual pads that come with it, the, the drum pads, they are actually... They're not that bad. They're as good as, you know, specific, like, nice ones that you would buy... Uh, to you know, maybe to upgrade. They come with like nice Ludwig uh, uh, Remo heads, and um, the only thing, if you were starting drums, you know, uh, you'd have to spend some money on some hardware. So Felipe, he has one of these in Colombia, but he he has a larger kit in another studio, and he doesn't want to lug that thing around. So this thing is, besides getting like a decent sound. I mean, they're tiny little drum set. It's a, called a cocktail kit. And he bought a bunch of like hardware and it's a little extra sticks and things. And uh, it ended up being, you know, probably close to like with the about 900 bucks, you know, for the uh, hi hat stand and the cymbal stands. And uh, you, may, you may end up spending a few hundred more if you were going to get like cymbals, but you could get a really kick ass little kit with some symbols for like, you know, it's like around 1200 bucks, maybe 1300 bucks. Uh, that's for everything. Cause you know, you, when you walk into guitar center or any shop with drums, when they, you're seeing like a, a stack of drums above you that, uh, they're like, you can see some for like two grand and that's just for the kick, a couple toms and a snare and, or not even a snare. Like, you know, some guys, a lot of people like to buy their snare separate, you know, and have like a really nasty, awesome sounding snare. So you're paying like two grand just for a kit or a thousand dollars just for the kit. That doesn't include hardware. So he bought that. He, we, I made sure that my garage was nice and half-ass organized and we set it up. 
and I mic'd it up. Uh, I, if you're hearing my voice right now, it sounds a little more echoey than... This is like the room tone of this garage. Uh, there's no drywall on it, and it's all exposed studs, uninsulated. The main sound reverberation comes, I believe, off of the floor is concrete. So that it's actually kind of an interesting tone to me. Uh, he's going to come over soon, and he's going to lay down some tracks. Uh, a track, uh, one called You Belong With Me. It's a song by this band, uh, me and Sh uh, Yard Dog made called uh, Swedish Nightingales. Uh, over the past couple of years, we've written a bunch of tunes and we're starting to release them. Uh, this particular one I thought was a nice one to start with. Uh, I've been getting some tracks from some female singers, uh, background, and I'll I'll release that information when it's more pertinent. Uh, Sophia Martin, actually, I'll just say it. Sophia Martin and someone that likes to be referred to as Feathers is laid down the second uh, background vocal. I got my guy Luke Halpin on violin. He lives in Colorado. I met him when I was in high school. He belonged to this family that, uh, a large Catholic family that would have these huge musical bashes. Everyone in the family was musical. They all sung, they all multi-instrument, and their parties were just fabulous. Uh, God, just such good musicians. And Luke was the uh, multi-instrument. Uh, he played guitar, violin, slash fiddle, and mandolin, and he sang, and uh, super talented guy. Ended up moving to Nashville, kind of got chewed up over there with their their politics, they not politics of like uh, like actual politicians, but music politics. You know, they got they have their guys. There is a lot of nepotism out there. They have their kids that like a Mickey Mouse club of people that they, you know, turn into big country stars. And he went out there, and it just didn't really work out for him. He ended up meeting this wonderful lady. Uh, Stephanie Bettman, and they made this uh, kind of American standard um, uh, folk bluegrass uh, uh, group, and they're out of Colorado. They still play, and they're great. And this guy, Luke, though, he lays down some killer uh, tracks. Uh, he helped me out also on a movie I scored that I'll talk about within a second after I'm done talking about the band. There's also uh, Kenny Lockwood. He's the bass player. He's actually the bass player in a uh, Pantera tribute band called Trend Kill Revolution. It's actually got some, you know, some clout in that in the metal world. They played at Dime Bash. Uh, Kenny plays in a ton of bands, uh, a lot of different cover bands, couple original like original music bands, and uh, he is a, a very talented, solid bass player. You can call him and count on him to get the shit done. And he's gonna. He said he wanted to be involved in any project that me and Old Yard Dog did, uh, and he likes some of the music. So he's gonna be the bass player, and he'll be there next uh, next week in the music video. That drummer, I said Felipe Restrepo, Colombian, awesome. Uh, another guy who fills in on some little piano stuff is a guy I've had on this podcast before, G Wise, Gannon Wise, super talented piano player. Uh, and a drummer slash percussionist, but he's a piano by trade. <clears throat> so he's going to be on some of our stuff. He's pro he, he actually is probably 
and I'm saying probably because I don't trust anybody until they show up actually, is going to be filling in as the drummer in the music video because Felipe is working on and getting paid on a commercial, big, big commercial that we work in the film business. So uh, back to uh, Luke. Uh, earlier this year, another thing that uh, some news my friend Raul, he's a he is a camera assist on. He's a loader on uh, <clears throat> Blackish, a show I work on. Uh, he directed a short film uh, called "The Ice Cream Stop." That's got been getting some attention, got some awards at the beginning of the year. Before uh, I actually like, I would say late December, I did I scored the music for the trailer. I and did some sound design stuff too. Uh, and he called me right before New Year's because he had some Grammy-nominated gentlemen that uh, friends with the uh, executive producer that was supposed to be scoring the film. For uh, friends with the the main actor Ty the Tyga Edwards, and uh, <clears throat> that guy disappeared. I guess he did done some things and a couple like uh, temp tracks and and then he just disappeared. So I got a call on like the thirtieth of December saying, or it even maybe been even December thirty first. Like, yo, I know. Could you uh, from Raul? He's like, could you? Uh, what would it take to score this film? And I said, I don't know. I said, I'll just do my best. I said, I, because honestly, I never really sat down and scored a full film. I've scored portions of my friends films i've scored stuff for commercials little things now not to say that i've never desired to score a film i love awesome movie scores i've always dug like danny elfman and han zimmer i mean the the greats john williams those are the top dogs <clears throat> some of those movies i grew up with like those songs I mean, every time I hear them, they take me back to when I was a kid. And there's a magic behind that. So I've always wanted to score films. So I just told him, I said, well, this is what I'll do. I'll just, I'll just give her a shot and I'll start sending you things. And if you're happy, I'll just keep doing it. So that was the plan. So I, I was out of town. I was in San Diego at the time in Encinitas, one of my favorite cities on the planet. Just a beautiful beach town. God, it's such a beautiful place. Great food, too. The taco stand. Oh, my God. Delicious Alpa store. So I, I get back from San Diego for Encinitas, and I get it immediately. Like the next day after I'd returned, January 5th, I text Raul saying, Yo. <laughs> That's how we talk to each other. I said, Yo, I'm going to get started on scoring your film. I'm starting now. And I will send you stuff as soon as I'm done with it. And then he said, do you think you could be done on the 15th? So that's 10 days. Now, for those who don't understand what it takes to score a film or slash, how about just, let's talk about just creating tracks. This fool was trying to talk to me about creating tracks with multiple instruments Mixing all the tracks, which usually, I mean, I mean, you could take a whole day to just track the stuff. The next day, if you're a good mixer, which I don't even consider myself a great mixer, I'm still learning. I mean, I hate it. 
I love it and I hate it. I love I hate it because I because of how much time it takes. I enjoy it while I'm doing it, but you can get lost in it. But you take another day to mix and maybe I mean, you could potentially master it like on the third day, you know, and then th- th- don't forget, guys, whoever's listening to this, there's also changes that get made. Everybody, you know, they, you send the thing and then they, they're do, they, they, you get the track and they love it. And then like a week later, they're like, yo, we, uh, we need this to go like, uh, another five seconds longer because in the, in the TV world, it's about their time of their, their clip. They don't care that it's like five seconds. Well, what does that translate in this song? Is this thing going to land on a, the middle of a, the, of, of a beat in another, like some random measure? Like, so now you got to make this kind of crap work. Okay. Like I'm rambling a little bit, but basically it gave me 10 days and I said, I can't make any promises. I'll do what I can. <laughs> I'll just start sending you stuff, and then I'll send you what I think is the most important scenes in the movie, and we'll just go from there. I I sent the first track, which I was super proud of, and he, I, everybody seemed to like it. <clears throat> and and then I uh, that took three days. It was that was the most important track in my mind, and I they told me they wanted like piano and violin, and part of me was like. I wouldn't like that. I'm just saying it out loud because I like I was like piano violin that's like cliche, you know, but you know they, they you, you when you're making music and for people you got to you got to work with them at what they want. It's they have a vision. So it's like but I decided I was like I want to show him like what he doesn't know he wants. <laughs> that's the way my approach was. So I made this like amazing ass gospel song. And I'm, you know, if you could approach this in like a modest way, when I did this song, I was like really, really proud of myself because I, I did all the vocals myself. I did the piano. I, I did this cool stomps and clap uh, samples that I found and adjusted them from a from a sample pack that like, you know, so and then uh, it came out really well. So I was given the green light on that and I moved on. And I let's say I I ended up finishing what was asked of me in seven days with mixing and mastering. And there was a change made because the song, the gospel song I did was like taking, it was too much like for the scene to like, it's a distracting from the scene. So I redid stuff. And that's when I also, I had Luke come in and send me some violin tracks and they ended up being gorgeous. And they're on my, uh, the white wolf SoundCloud. You can hear the songs. Uh, the gospel song is called, we were told, that one didn't get used, and that's cool for me because I could use it somewhere else. Because it's—I mean, I would—I would love to try to perform this live. We were told, then there was uh, uh, where the night ends is the one that they ended up using. Uh, so that's in there. Uh, I would check that out on the White Wolf uh, SoundCloud. Uh, then uh, there was a doo-wop one called uh, "Run to You" that was really cool. So. <clears throat> I scored this film. It's gotten into some film festivals, and uh, the film has been winning some Best Picture awards. And uh, so it's called the Ice Cream Stop. Whenever it's available to be screened, wherever, uh, I'll let you guys know. So that way you could listen to my music. Ha ha ha. <laughs> no, but it's a very uh, political film. It's a uh, very pertinent to a lot of the political climate about. Uh, Black Lives Matter and 
uh, kind of unruly police. You know, I, I, obviously me saying this, some people might listen and get a, they'll be either like, oh yeah, that's that we understand. And some other people might be like, oh, you know, there's no problem. You know, the problem is black. It's like, look, dude, I mean, there are issues and there are issues that have to be solved and that's on every side. And this this film kind of shows what, some of the problems that might happen when you profile someone. That's all I'll say about that. So, but uh, check out the music and uh, let me know what you think. Uh, another side note, since uh, I'm back, I'm back, baby. It's been a long time. Uh, I started uh, back on Blackish doing art department about uh, in July, late July. Like we didn't know we were gonna, if we were going to come back, but we came back and we did this test because they had shut down the film industry. And I will say that during the quarantine, I worked on like a couple what I'd call like guerrilla-ish style, Wild West style commercials with uh, some people. Uh, but with, we were like basically working on one third of the crew size on location. Which is weird. Like, like, so there were houses that they rented out that usually get rented out for film that didn't care about a bunch of people coming into their house during quarantine. Now, we would go test. I, I, I believe the first one I did, they didn't test. They just did temperature, which, which personally, under my opinion, I mean, I guess that's one level of, of testing to see if someone's sick. But if someone's asymptomatic, they may not even be showing a fever. But that's like what they thought at the time. Again, I, I'm rambling about that, but anyways, so I went back to, I got asked to come back to Blackish to do a test run during the quarantine, and we were one of the first shows that actually I felt, feel was getting kicked off the ground running. We did this test where we had a bunch of health and safety managers pretending to be actors, and they, uh... And they and and we were they were we were getting videotaped on our process. Or I guess they sent that out to the unions and they sent it out to different companies to show, hey, we could do this. We could make it work. Basically, everybody on set was in zone A, and there was the people who usually set up the sets and dress the sets, decorate the sets, rig the lighting. All those guys were part of a zone B crew, and we were getting tested a few times a week and by the time we were getting started our show tested three times a week for zone a there are some shows that were testing five times a week and still do to this day uh so when we started on blackish we did our test run it proved successful we started shooting we started our episode one of season seven of blackish all the way to the the last episode where we started i think we were going to do only 13 episodes in december and then we had three, they, they gave us more on the back end, and we ended up shooting until March. And that was great. Uh, I was happy to do that. That, you know, made me a little busy, and I was uh, half-ass uh, lazy with, my po- with this uh, little podcast. So it's been a minute. Uh, but uh, the film industry kind of figured it out. They had to because of all the money they would lose, and we, we, people need to be entertained. People need to be entertained because people have things to do and they are tired from work and they need some, some, uh, something to numb that annoyance <laughs> of how you feel when you get home from work. So they, they made that entertainment thing happen. Um, and I got right on the, right when Blackish was, uh, over, 
I went, I was, I decided that I, I'm a Mr. Outdoorsman and I started snowboarding. I hadn't been snowboarding since I was 14. And on the last week of Blackish, uh, when we were doing our little inventory, uh, I went out to Mountain High on a Thursday night. This is actually my second time going back out. I bought my own board. I got all this gear. And I went out on my, f- and I ate poopy. <laughs> I fell down on my bad shoulder. I already had a bad shoulder, and I, I didn't even fall hard. I just felt just great enough that I blasted my shoulder. So I, I like the end of Blackish, I, my big hurrah was uh, me falling down and uh, hurting my shoulder. And now I'm on disability recovering. <clears throat> so, uh, well, I, I'm doing all my exercises if a case or any disability caseworker decides to listen to my show. And I'm doing all my exercises. I'm going to PT. And in about a month and a half, I'll be able to go back to my normal job, which involves carrying giant couches over my head sometimes for stupid reasons. So, you know, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm healing and, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers. And uh, hopefully I'll be back into the main workforce uh, as soon as I can. Um, another side note before I get into the main brunt. I just, this is a recap. We had a, we got to have to have a recap since it's been such a stupid long time. Uh, so we're really here because it would be our fourth, fourth annual. I got to say it right or else it's going to be stupid. The the fourth official annual White Wolf's Den Oscars exclusive, where you'll get all the info of insider Hollywood information regarding the Oscars picks. And I have to hurry up and get this out so you can listen to it before the actual Oscars. I usually have Yard Dog here, but he started playing tennis and eating brunch on the weekend. So I'm going to be solo today. And I had to do all my own research, which, I mean, I already watched uh, almost all these movies. Uh, And for the sake of this show, I've seen them all, and I'm an expert, and we are going to talk about a bit of the gambling lines. Uh, Not recommending you to gamble, but if you did, these were the ones you'd want to put your money on, Um, as well as if you have a uh, little bingo card, these are the ones I recommend. Now, I'm going to jinx myself, because I have won... In all of my little bingo pools, I did three years in a row. I've been unstoppable due to my re- my fervent research, uh, which I literally only do for you, the White Wolf Den listener. And we're going to talk about a few of the categories. Uh, so, without so the first one we're going to start with is the uh, best picture. Uh, you, you know, listen. Some of you are listening. You're like, all I care about is best actor. All I care about is best actress. All I care about is best costume design. But I'm doing this my way. So we're starting like we usually do. We're just going to kind of go in order of what I feel is most important to me. So just ride along on this train. Uh, According to Vegas, the top contender for best picture is Nomadland. Now, the list of characters (laughs) or uh, movies that that are uh, important. Uh Uh-oh that are important, are uh, Nomadland, Trial of the Chicago 7, Minari, Promising Woman, 
Mank, Judas and the Black Messiah, Sound of Metal, and The Father. And that is an order. That is the order in which Hollywood thinks this thing's going to go down. So if you were going to put a bunch of money on Nomadland and it won, you really wouldn't be getting a good payback. Now, I've seen all these movies. Now, Nomadland... So when you're looking at these movies, it doesn't matter what you like. Because I've always talked about it's like, well, I like this better. But when, when we're on here, we're not talking about that. We're talking about what do I think the Oscars thinks is better. And we're going to have to talk about timing. Uh, as of right now, uh, we got, what is it, Francis McDormand? I usually have a yard dog to do this because I'm terrible with names. Just kidding. I'm the best with names. So uh, Nomadland, it got, it's a really sad story of a lady who uh, played by Frances McDormand whose husband has died, and she lives in this tiny-ass town where all the work is going away and part of a community of uh, people who live in these like trailer homes, and they've converted vans into living spaces. I mean, honestly, it's the way it's like all perspective, man. The way you look at these things. I mean, some people might say like, "Hey, they're free; they're off the grid." Man, that that look to me looks like a super hard ass life. But so it was a good movie, but I mean, it didn't really do it for me. I I honestly didn't look at that movie and think like they're definitely going to win Best Picture. I'll say the it was shot nicely. It was directed well. Uh, and actually, Chloe Zhao, if I'm pronouncing that right, is top dog, according to Vegas, to win director. So <clears throat> I wouldn't put that, I wouldn't say that was too far of a stretch. I don't really, I didn't really love No Man Land as a movie. Now you have The Trial of Chicago 7. That was a good, heavy movie. Uh, but, you know, I'm a fan of Sasha Baron Cohen too. But his accent in that movie was awful. Like, I don't even know what he was uh, what, what he was trying to do there. <laughs> He's usually, like, really talented. But all I heard was I, I kept hearing him come out of his accent, and I kept hearing Sasha's accent. Uh, Minari, uh, is, I thought, does have that tone, uh, you know, a family, like, uh, coming from Korea to some small ass American town, and the dude trying to make it make it big with a farm with this big idea, and it's another sad story. And they got a kid who's like got a, some heart condition. I mean, <laughs> it's like on paper that's like this movie. This is the one. This is gonna win the Oscar. Uh, meh. That's the third on the list. Now, a lot of people are talking about Promising Young Woman. Now, on an entertainment uh, factor, when I watched that movie, I was like, that was an entertaining movie. <laughs> I, it, didn't, it didn't come across to me like an Oscar movie, which appeals to me more. <laughs> I mean, the demographic of I want to enjoy this movie. I enjoyed the film. It was fun. Uh, had a fun payoff at the end. I'm not going to do spoilers. I usually do. I always just tell the whole recap of the fucking, of the whatever thing. Now, Mank. Mank is number five on the list. 
Uh, what was that? Fincher? Uh, David Fincher, who is a uh, epic director, you know, big ideas of grandeur. Mank is, funnily enough, in my opinion, it, it that's him attempting to have his rosebud. Cinematography-wise and directing-wise, I feel like those are heavy contenders in that movie. They would film scenes during the day with these interesting ass cameras and it looked like night on camera it was like so the way that they were able to capture those shots in that movie it is incredible the the so like cinematography lighting top shelf top dog movie so that's for me maybe best cinematography the acting let's talk about the actors they were doing these accents Incredible. So, you know, maybe some best acting nods. Now, that movie to me was boring as shit. <laughs> shit was super long. Took forever. Uh, my wife couldn't get through it. She's just like, oh my God, you know? Uh, so uh, as a movie and it's driving story, that shit was long and tedious. Uh, that's just my opinion. I mean, maybe I have a dumb brain. Maybe I just, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm looking at it like from a making a movie point. Mank was great. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah is number six on the list. Now, we could talk about, I wouldn't say half-assed conspiracy theories, but I could say I would put this higher on the list because Hollywood and the political movement of this country loves to virtue signal and this is a story but i'll say this judas and the black messiah when i was watching the movie was a freaking entertaining movie i actually really enjoyed the acting in it i feel it looked well it looked it looked nice uh it was it was a very well done movie I do think that it is a contender to win the Oscar because they would be like, fuck it, you know. A couple of years ago, I think one of our uh, exclusives was, this is the year of the woman, <laughs> you know. And <laughs> so we we went like female heavy, like uh, with our uh, approach, uh, like we picked female directors. We didn't do that uh, too cheekily. We actually meant it. But this is the year of Black Lives Matter. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Judas and the Black Messiah won. I thought it was way more entertaining than Mank, Minari, Trial of the Chicago 7, and Nomadland. Uh, maybe those other stories are more normally Oscar, you know, Oscar movies. But from a, from a consumer standpoint, I enjoyed the Black Mas Judas and the Black Messiah. But the Oscars is about art. It's an art thing. Uh, Sound of Metal. What am I? I'm a, I'm a musician. <clears throat> and when I heard this was up for Oscar, I was actually a little confused. It's weird. It's like, you know, we got a metal musician. But then, you know, we have our sob story. We got a, a couple. They live in a trailer. They play heavy metal music. They're in a two-piece. And the drummer's going deaf. <clears throat> and 
I actually felt that they captured the humanity of that guy very well. Like the stages of the like of losing like the hearing the stubbornness and the uh his desire to just fix it like in a way where they were like ah, it may not work and he's like but he thinks it will you know and then him going to a community that helps deaf people and and rejecting help it, it was very real to me. So I, I actually, I like that movie. I don't think, it, I enjoyed the movie. It was entertaining, it was entertaining to me. Uh, of, of all the sad stories on here, it was the most entertaining to me. But it did hit me more personal because I'm a musician. <clears throat> and then you have The Father with Sir Anthony Hopkins as the main actor. Um, I don't see any... Best uh, Olivia Coleman's in that. She was pretty good. Now the father. That's a good one. That movie they did a hell of a job capturing the the senility and the dementia of Anthony Hopkins' character. I was like, I you know my grandma had dementia. My grandpa got had dementia, grew into it. And the fact that like he you, he kept thinking things were happening and you don't know what was really happening and who was really who. I'm trying not to give anything away, but I think that was a great movie. I would say that's a great original screenplay. And uh, it's, uh, no, it's, that'd be adapted screenplay. That's number two on the adapted screenplay list. So... I think actually that's last on the list and I would put it higher up. If I was going to do my thoughts on what would win the Oscar for best picture. Hmm. Man, see, for some reason I I, I would work better with yard dog here. (laughs) He like gives me power. He gives me power to, you know, what would I think? I would think it'd be a close... Let's put my top three. I would put The Father higher. Uh, I would put Mank higher because of all the overall... You got like acting, directing, lighting, and all that stuff. I'd be no official order, and then after I pick these three, I'll pick the one. Mank. I'll even put Promising Young Woman. Uh, Maybe pick four. Mank, Promising Young Woman, The Father, and maybe I'll just throw in Nomad Land for political, not, you know, I would say political reasons, but it's just like Oscar, the way they pick things. And out of those four, hmm, I would, I would pick The Father. Uh, may, fuck, I don't know. Uh, if I was going to pick, what do I think the Oscars are going to pick? I would, I maybe I would pick No Man Land. <laughs> it was boring to me. I mean, it's not boring. It was a good movie. Uh, Mank was boring. Okay. Best director Chloe Zhao, No Man Land, 
top in the running. David Fincher for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Emerald Fennel, Promising Young Woman, and Thomas Winterberg for Another Round. Didn't see Another Round. I did not see that, so it's probably going to win. Uh, would I say Nomadland is uh, in the best odds to win Best Picture and Best Director? Yeah, I would put her up probably up there. She's got big competition with David Fincher. But again, I thought that movie was boring. But it was well-directed and, again, well-shot. So yeah, this is a tough one. I would feel that the Oscars would give it to David Fincher because they love him. But the Oscars would give it to Chloe Zhao or Lee Isaac Chung because that's like, that looks cool <laughs> to do that. However, even though I think, I, I think Nomadland was more entertaining than Mank, same as Minari, I, I really thought like Promising Young Woman was the best for fun of all these pictures. So because I don't know about Thomas Winterberg, and here I am the expert of film, but I haven't had a lot of time to do the uh, research because uh, I'm an amateur. Uh, who do I think should win Best Director? As a director, David Fincher, but the movie I like better was, uh, uh, I'll say I like, uh, oh man, because look at the, Lee Isaac Chung and Minari. Look at the performances that he got out of those ca those actors. It was super heavy. Honestly, let's talk about it. I think the best director is going to be Lee Isaac Chung, or it should be, my opinion. Now, what do I think? So Bobby's pick, Lee Isaac Chung, for me. What do I think the Oscars are going to pick? I wouldn't be surprised if they picked Emerald Fennel with Promising Young Woman. So my top two picks here would be Emerald Fennel, Promising Young Woman, and Chloe Zhao. But I like Lee Isaac Chung. So... If I was going to put my money on anything, what do I think the Oscars are going to pick? It could be Chloe Zhao. That would be huge for her. All right. So I'm going to agree with Vegas. <clears throat> All right. Best actor. Chadwick Boseman. Anthony Hopper. Ma Rainey's Big Black Bottom. Anthony Hopkins, The Father. Number two on the list. Riz Ahmed, Sound of Metal, Steve Yoon, Minari, and Gary Oldman for Mank. All right, so the conspiracy theorist in me thinks, ah, just give it to Chadwick, Bo Chadwick Boseman because, I mean, geez, what a tragic end to that guy. Uh, Black Panther, man. He was, he's such a cool dude, and he's done some really awesome movies, and he did all these movies while he was dying. <clears throat> And actually, this brings me to a little point before I continue with Best Actor. Ma Rainey's Big Black Bottom and The Father, as well as, uh, what is that other, uh, One Night in Miami, are all based off of plays that were written, like Broadway-style plays. Something that kind of takes me out of these movies. As someone who enjoys movies, and I enjoy action movies because I'm, I'm a dumb dude. I guess it's my guilty pleasure. But all these films, they're set in like one or two rooms. Just like a play. Super dialogue heavy. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I, it, it's, it's, it just sucks to me that you have these movies that are based off of these things. 
and th they they adapt them and make them look still like the play and it's like i feel like they could do a better job of making it more movie and cinematic rather than play like that's just my opinion so it takes me out of the movie a little bit when it's like i, I see all this dialogue 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 in the same room it's annoying to me so but i still i think that out of these people uh, i feel that the Oscars would choose Chadwick Boseman. I would put all my money on that, <laughs> and so would Vegas. So it sucks because so far I've got I'm gonna pick. Uh, I'll pick a uh, I'll pick a number one uh, for this one. It, what I think Vegas it would be, what I think the Oscars would pick would be Chadwick Boseman. Anthony Hopkins, an incredible actor. Uh, Riz Ahmed did a good job, but for so I mean, in my head, I'm like, yeah, I don't think he should win the Oscar. That's just my opinion. Although he did good again, I said, he, the the way that he his, the way that they captured his humanity. But uh, I mean, dude, you're going against Anthony Hopkins. Come on, Steve Yoon, Mister uh, Walking Dead, who was super popular on that show, and the way he went out on that show really pissed a lot of people off. Very sad. You know, now you got Gary Oldman too. Anthony Hopkins, Gary Oldman on this list of people, to me, the best actors, some of the best actors on the planet. So, you know, Chadwick Boseman and Riz Ahmed and Steven Yoon have their, their, you know, have it, their work cut out for them. <clears throat> uh, Gary Oldman did that weird accent in that movie and he had to learn all those lines and put on that performance and he did a great job. However, I don't know. I I mean, I feel they're going to give it to Chadwick Boseman. Who do I who did I think did the best job on this? I think Stephen Yoon did a really good job. I honestly think that this, in my opinion, if I was in charge of giving awards out, Stephen Yoon and Anthony Hopkins, very close. Uh, so those are my favorite. That's who I would pick. But uh, I still think Chadwick's going to win. If not Chadwick Boseman, uh, they'd, probably give it to, they'd probably give it to Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. So Chadwick, Anthony, Stephen Yoon, for me, for choosing the, for the Oscars, what are they going to pick? Hey, you know, you might want to take a chance on Stephen Yoon on here. So... What do I think the Oscars is going to pick? Steven Yoon. Uh, best Actress. Here we go. Let's bring in the ladies. <clears throat> Carrie Mulligan is the uh, top favorite of Vegas right now uh, for Promising Young Woman. And you got Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. She plays Ma Rainey. She's a sassy, old-timey, kind of fallen out of the generation singer. She's been around the block a few times. Reminds me of like an Engelbert Humperdinck. He don't take no shit. She don't take no shit. She's a diva. You know, she's a tough, tough old lady in that. You got Frances McDormand for No Man Land on number three on the list. You got Andre Day for the U.S. versus Billy Holiday. And Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman, following on the fifth position. Do I think Carrie Mulligan is going to pull it off? I think Viola Davis did a hell of a job in that movie. 
Francis McDormand is always just stellar. For me, it would be Viola Davis versus Francis McDormand. And I would pick Viola Davis over Francis's performance. Who do I think the Oscars is going to pick? I wouldn't be surprised if they gave it to Francis again. Because she'd won before. She She's a kick-ass actress. So I would take a chance on the uh, Francis McDormand and your little... And your little uh, bingo. <laughs> All right, best supporting actress. All right, best supporting actor. The, the gentleman first, just because that's the way it is on this list. Okay, relax. <clears throat> Daniel Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya, don't do it wrong. Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. Sasha Baron Cohen, Trials of Chicago, of Chicago Seven. I'm gonna say right now, no. And I love Sasha Baron Cohen. He his accent was terrible. Uh, Paul, Paul, Racy, Sound of Metal, Leslie Odom Jr., One Night in Miami, Lakeith Stanfield, Judas and the Black Messiah. There's two peoples on here for Judas and the Black Messiah. Two people. All right, so I've already thrown away Sasha Baron Cohen. He's not going to win. I mean, the Oscars don't like him anyways, so... If I was going to put all my money on any of these supporting actors, I would think that the Oscars would pick. Well, let's see. Who do they like? I'd probably say either Daniel Kaluuya or Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. I wouldn't mind taking a gamble with Leslie Odom, but if you're going to put this on your little cheat sheet or your little sheet for bingo, I'd pick... Daniel Kaluuya. That's what Vegas picks. So, best supporting actress, we got uh, Yoon Yu Jung in Minari, Maria Bakalova from Borat, uh, probably the most incredible <laughs> performance I've seen uh, from a, I guess she's a big actress out in Europe, but her like improv skills, being able to keep up with Sasha my opinion i mean she should win just based on that performance glenn close hillbilly elegy obviously now you, you got like big heavy hitters in the in the mix olivia coleman in the father and amanda seyfried mank uh who do i think uh the oscars are gonna pick i think that they would they would never vote for a borat movie to win a supporting actress i mean you got glenn close they'd probably give it to her because she had to put all this makeup on be old and by the way, we got Felipe here, and so he's putting stuff on the drums. So if you hear little cymbals, that's okay. That's him. Felipe finally arrived. Uh, they'd probably give it to either Olivia Coleman or Glenn Close. That's just my opinion. That's how the Oscars work. Bobby's choice, Maria Bakalova, top shelf. Uh, so if, but if you're putting your money down, I'd probably put Glenn Close down as a, a, you know, a gamble. Again, we don't recommend. We're not saying if you lose money, that's your stupid fault because you're a gambler. Uh, the Oscars, uh, best original screenplay, Promising Young Woman, Trial of Chicago 7. This is in order. Minari, Judas and the Black Messiah, Sound of Metal. I honestly thought Promising Young Woman was a pretty original screenplay. Of all of these, I, I do agree with Vegas. If I was going to put my money on what I thought 
the uh, the Oscars was going to pick, I would pick probably Minari or Judas and the Black Messiah. Those were pretty amazing scripts. So I would take a gamble and even say Judas and the Black Messiah. Or, uh, but if I was gonna if I was gonna pick on the uh, bingo sheet, I would put Minari. I don't know. Chicago Seven didn't really scream to me as like a winner. It's a good movie, but it wasn't like, you know. Politic politically, they'd probably choose it because <laughs> it's like very, you know, pertinent. Uh, cops be beating people up, you know, don't they? Uh, again, best adapted screenplays. The Father and One Night in Miami, both adapted from like Broadway, Broadway films. Nomad Land is up on there. Borat is an adapted screenplay, I guess. <laughs> it's up there. That's what it says. I'm going to skip this one. Yeah, you, you decide. You know, but I'm going to actually go because I'm going to wrap this up. It's getting late, and you guys are probably already tuned out after you heard me rambling. Best Cinematography, Nomadland, Mank, News of the World, Judas and the Black, Messiah, Trial of Chicago 7. Bobby's Choice, Mank, uh, incredible cinematography. If you know anything about shooting cameras, I, that movie should win. Nomadland, though was a beautifully shot film as well. I was actually like, well, wow, there's some really nice shot choices in there. I would still go with Mank if you're going to fill in the bubble. Best production design, because I work in the art department, so I have to do this, even though I said I'm like in a hurry. Tenet was pretty good for production design. Uh, it's a hate. You could either love it or hate it. Father had some really nice, uh, beautiful furniture. The uh, Mank is a, a make incredible period piece. So I would say it'd be between Mank and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, also period piece. Very beautiful film. Mank or Ma Rainey? Those are the top choices. I would say if, you, uh, if I'm a betting man, I'd go with Mank. If I wanted to take a gamble, I'd say uh, Ma Rainey. You know, that's number two on the list. So Mank, fill in your bubble. Um, that's really all I care about on here. So there, it, there we were, folks. White Wolf's Den. I did it. I made it in time. The fourth annual Oscars exclusive. I did it without Yard Dog, that that mean idiot who's in my band who usually does this with me. And if the show sucked, it's because he wasn't here. So uh, if you need to ask any questions, White Wolf's Den at gmail.com. Don't go to my website anymore because it's being revamped. I may not even do the website anymore because all you need is Instagram and Twitter. But uh, reach out, tell your friends, do all that dumb stuff, and I'll see you next time.